as you can guess, I like a lot of things about reading. I love to read. It's my fun in life. It's my hobby. I spend my extra time when I have it reading. And I love reading autobiography. Biographies are wonderful. But I find autobiographies so much more fun. Because you're beginning to get to know the author themselves as they write. Now, you can't trust every autobiography. You can't. Albert Camus, the French existentialist novelist and philosopher, noted in his best work, in my estimation, The Fall, if you're into reading that sort of thing, this is the best of his. And he has one of his characters saying this. When you read of someone's confessions, that is, memoir, beware, because they are often dressing the corpse. I love that. Dressing the corpse. In other words, they want to come out well in their writing about themselves. Sometimes it's probably better to draw our own conclusions and be critical as we read some of these autobiographies. But most definitely, I regard them as a lot of fun. What I also regard as fun is I love to read other people's letters. Now, I mean fam uh, famous people's letters. I, I don't look at any of your personal letters coming in here or anything like that. I recommend a few to you. Seneca, the first century Latin philosopher. Wonderful letters. They are so insightful into life. Of course, there's Erasmus and his letters, the Renaissance humanist of the 15th and 16th century. What a great letter writer he was. And then there's the great Groucho Marx. And you know, he's pretty good as well. You know, he could write a letter and he knows how to write a letter. How about that? His letters are wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And, of course, the famous Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote letters when he was in prison. I love letters. You get to know people as you read their letters. I sometimes think nobody will read our letters because we're not writing them anymore. We're writing our emails and our texts, and they will just go to wherever texts go and emails go once they've been deleted. Well, the New Testament is made up of letters. Most of the New Testament is made up of letters. And Paul writes 13 letters. Now, these letters are very different to one another. They're different types of letters. For instance, if you read the letter to Romans, Ephesians, or Colossians, what you're reading is a sort of book on Christian theology. There's a few personal things in there, but generally it's a book on philosophy and, and specifically theology. And then there are letters that are written to certain churches, and those letters deal with the problems going on in the churches, such as 1 Corinthians and Galatians. And Paul seeks to correct their thinking. 
And then there are other letters of advice to younger pastors, such as Timothy and Titus. And they're, they're all really good, very interesting, very different to one another. But when it comes to getting to know the author of these letters, I believe there is no better letter than two Corinthians. Two Corinthians. For in it, we get to know about the writer himself. If you want to get to know the Apostle Paul, read and study 2 Corinthians, because he speaks more about himself in this letter than any other letter. It's the most autobiographical letter of Paul's in the New Testament. And I believe it's a neglected letter as well. Whereas lots of people have read 1 Corinthians because they want to get the 1 Corinthians 13 bit and that's really good. And they want to read about a few other things as well. But for some reason, I don't know why, 2 Corinthians tends to be neglected. And for that very reason, I'm going to preach on 2 Corinthians. So if you ask me, why are you preaching on 2 Corinthians? Because it's neglected, and I'm not going to neglect it. And I want us, over the next few weeks, to get to know something about Paul himself through reading his letters. Sometimes if I'm lecturing on various historical characters, I ask this question. How many dead people do you really know? How many dead people do you really know? Not know about, but you know. You know how they would react in certain circumstances. They're long ago dead, but you've got to know them through reading their writings. And it's always worth asking the question, how many dead people do you know? I know a few of them. They become close friends. Absolutely. They're on my shelves. And you know, I, I could even end up talking to them. I think I know them so well. So we're going to get to know Paul. That's one reason why we're looking at 2 Corinthians. Another reason is for me to teach 2 Corinthians is, I believe, in what, is what we call expository preaching. An expository preaching is explaining the Bible as it is. Taking the congregation and the church through the Bible. My job is not to preach my thoughts. It's not my job. My job is to explain God's thoughts through Paul, through John, through whoever. Expository preaching. Alistair Begg, and some of you have heard of Alistair Begg because he's a big radio preacher, Scottish, and very often I've actually been, when people hear my accent, they say, you're not Alistair Begg, are you? <laughs> you know, because for some reason they, they think that the Scottish accent and a Welsh accent is, is pretty close. Well, uh, and that's okay. I don't mind being mistaken for Alistair Begg, who's a very good preacher. And he says these words, regular expository preaching of the Bible is the staple diet of a healthy church. Regular expository preaching of the Bible is 
uh, the staple diet of a healthy church. I want this church to be healthy. So the diet must include expository preaching. Now, lately, I've concentrated more on topical things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But I think I've done it at the expense of expository. And because of that, I am going back to a more expository method here on Sunday morning. And not only on Sunday morning at 10.45, but also at 9.30 with our adult Sunday school, adult education class. And we're beginning to teach on the Gospel of John. And we will go through that in detail. We'll be looking at it, we'll be comparing it with the other Gospels and looking at its theology, looking at its purpose. It'll be a bit deeper than usual. So if you're interested in getting to know in detail the Gospel of John, every Sunday there will be an expository discussion, if you like, on that in the Blue Room at 9.30. You are all invited uh, to that. You see, the thing with expository preaching is you, you look at the text, but you look at the context as well. And the context helps us understand the text. It's a good thing because you know what I'm going to preach on. That's a help. So next week, you know what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to preach on the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. And you can catch me out. If you really study 2 Corinthians chapter 1 yourself, then you can check up on the pastor to see if he's accurate. I'm very happy that you do that, by the way, in this church. Very happy indeed. Actually, I'd be thrilled if you did that. But each week you will know what I'm preaching on, and you will be able to study it yourself. I want to take us through this Bible book. And I want us to pick up things as we go through it. So, they are two of the reasons, at least, behind this new series. A need to have expository preaching. And secondly, an excuse for us to continue and follow up back home as well. Today, my only job is to introduce the book to you. I will not be looking in any detail on the text because it needs an introduction. As you heard me, I began by a reading Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 17, which is how the church at Corinth came to be. Very simple reading. It's the third missionary journey of Paul, and he, he, he ends up in Corinth, begins to preach in the synagogue. He's a traveling rabbi. A number of people believe, but in the end, they kick him out. So he goes next door and begins a church. And he is there for a year and a half, building up this very small church. Let me read two of the verses from that chapter. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his claws in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And that's what he does. He forms a brand new church. We call it today a church 
plant, a church plant. And he begins to do that. And he stays there longer than any other church except for Ephesians, where he stayed at Ephesus for nearly uh, two years. Let me tell you just a little bit about Corinth, because Corinth is really interesting. Corinth is built on a four-mile-wide isthmus between northern Greece and southern Greece. It's built on a narrow neck of land that you see there. And it became a really progressive city simply because of where it was. Because what would happen, people would come and they would have their ships come to the Gulf of Corinth and they'd need to get to the Saronic Gulf. Sometimes, if the ship was small enough, they would put it on rollers and push it the four miles, which would save them over 200 miles of travel. So they would do that. The other thing they would do, if the ship was too big, they would take the cargo out and they would take it over as well. As a result of it being a seaport, you can guess all the different things that were going on there. It was a wicked place without going into too much detail. It was an international place. It was a place where prostitution and immorality were rife. It was a sea place. People would come there from all over the world. And the word to be a Corinthian was used to describe someone as wicked, perverse, drunk, and immoral. So during the day you say, oh, he's a real Corinthian. Not a good thing to say about somebody, okay? It meant they were behaving in an awful way. One a commentator called this city Vanity Fair, the Vanity Fair of the ancient uh, world. And here, Paul plants a church. And you can imagine all the different issues going on in that church. Now, a number of years ago, uh, when was it? It was the year 2000. I was at Corinth. I was coming back from Egypt and uh, I had to stop off in, in Greece for three days, which was marvellous. So I wanted to go down to Corinth. I'd read so much about Corinth, so I was going to go there. And my thrill in Corinth was a, was a historic thrill. And it was a historic thrill because I knew I could stand in three places where Paul had stood. The first place was the Temple of Apollo. He would have seen the Temple of Apollo, and there's still something of that temple left there today. And then, of course, he would have worked in the marketplace because he was a tent maker, as we read. He would have been selling his tents or whatever in the market. And lastly, there was the Bema. And the Bema was the judgment seat that we just read about that he was brought to the leader of the day by the Jews, and he was accused of doing all sorts of things. He would have stood there. And I remember standing right there thinking, whoa, I'm standing where Paul stood. I was so excited. Now, I do get historical thrills, okay? Uh, it wasn't a spiritual thrill, it was really historic and, and whatever, but I thought, oh, this was marvelous. So you can go to Corinth today, and you can see some of the places that are mentioned by Paul. And it's worth noting this, that the Christian message lands in places you can go to today. Okay, you can go to them today. 
How about the letter itself? Now, there's lots of disagreements as regard the letter. Let me be honest with you. And the disagreements are around how many letters Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You might say, what? That's straightforward. You've got one Corinthians and two Corinthians. That's two. Come on. How can that be controversial? Well, it is. It is because I believe there were four letters written to the Corinthians, two of which are lost and two of which we have in our Bible. How do I come to that conclusion? Let me do a bit of literary snooping. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul refers to a letter he's already written. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then in verse 11, he speaks of the present letter. But now I am writing you that you must not be associated with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral. In other words, he's already written one letter to the Corinthians. This is his second letter to the Corinthians. So just to really confuse you, right at the beginning, one Corinthians is actually two Corinthians. Okay? Sorry about that. Sorry to be awkward and confuse you, but it's fun. It's fun. And that is that's what the case is. But how do I come to the conclusion that there are probably four? We're up to three. Well, there's evidence of another lost letter between the biblical 1 and 2 Corinthians. Let me read the evidence, the internal evidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve, but to let you go. For I wrote out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears not to grieve you but to let you know the depth of my love for you and then 2 Corinthians 7 8 even if I caused you sorrow by my letter I do not regret it now again scholars disagree and that's all right perfectly okay no problem some say that can't refer to 1 Corinthians it doesn't fit the tone of 1 Corinthians. That really is another letter that's gone missing. Others say, no, that fits the tone of 2 Corinthians. You can decide for yourself. I don't mind. I don't mind. But we do know there are at least three letters, okay? Three letters written to the Corinthians, two of which we do now have in the New Testament. I urge you, those of you who love to study, to look at these things, they're so interesting. I love trying to find these things out. You know, if you like a, an Agatha Christie, you're always trying to work out who did it and who did this, and you're working on Sherlock Holmes and, and things like that. Well, I like to do that sort of thing with the Bible. And it's right and good to do that. And we get into some detail. So, here we are. Here's the introduction to the next few months. We are going to look at the most autobiographical letter in the New Testament, which gives us a very personal view of the Apostle Paul. 
I am looking forward to preaching it. I really am. We'll see an example in this letter of an early church, warts and all. You know, so many people say, I've said this, I said this in the last series I did. People said, oh, we need to get back to the early church. That's what we need. I say, which one? I don't want to get back to Corinthians. I don't want to get back to Galatians. I don't want to get back to some of these churches. Do you know, church has always been flawed. And this church is flawed. If you're a visitor, I want to tell you, this church is flawed. Okay? Don't be surprised. Because we believe with Paul, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes the pastor, the elders, all the leadership, everyone who takes part, each and every, and it includes you, by the way. All right? Sorry to be so personal, but there we are. It does. It does. And we're going to see an example of an early church. And we are going to be warned about that example, uh, by that example. We'll see something of the sorrow that was threatening to overcome Paul. We'll see that. We'll see that he's a real human being who struggles. And when the church is being planted, it is not easy. But we'll also see the determination and strength of the Apostle Paul, who stands up for truth and righteousness. He stands up. And when I read that sort of thing, I get inspired. I hope you will as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of your word. And we pray now that your hand, O oh God, would be upon your word and that your spirit would be upon the word. Lord, lead us to get to know Paul, to get to know the church, but more than anything else, to get to know you, which is life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.